Welcome to the Springin' Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Parr, and this is the place to be for all things equestrian lifestyle, horses, entrepreneurship, as well as so much more. This is your insider's edition to what it's really like living in balance with your passion and your business. I'm so excited to have you guys here with me, so come along for the ride. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you had an awesome weekend. It is getting cold, at least where I am, and today was zero degrees when I got up to go get a coffee this morning. Not enjoying the cold weather, but I guess it's just making me feel more creative about how I'm going to keep things exciting in an indoor ring all winter, so there's that. Um, Today on the podcast, I have Brandon Hall. Brandon is doing a myriad of things. He has his own brand, Hall & Co. He is working with Lake House Stables kind of in conjunction with another professional to do a sales program. And he also um, coaches at Stonewood Equestrian. So there's a lot of things that he's doing on top of being the marketing director at Ontario Equestrian. So We had lots of things I wanted to cover, not enough time to cover them, but it was a great episode. Um, If you guys are at all interested in, you know, having a different structure to a professional career in the industry, I think it's very interesting talking to um, lots of different people doing different things. I know that we've had a lot of professionals on here that are campaigning themselves as riders, or perhaps they are even Olympic riders. Um, They have big farms and big programs. Uh, Perhaps they were born into a family that was already established in the industry. There's a lot of different, um, you know, pathways that I think that we need to be aware of. And if you're creative enough, there are so many different ways that you can make your passion into your career. We talked a little bit about that on this podcast. He's doing a lot of different things that kind of are in line with what I do as a professional, um, you know, my structure is freelance, but I also do sales horses and a little bit of breeding and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I like, you know, I like the fluidity of my job. It's what makes it interesting for me and what keeps me connected to the passion that I have for it. And Brandon is doing kind of something along the lines of that as well. He's got a bunch of different avenues, people supporting him. Um, and we talked about bringing in horses and changing the trajectory of their lives and how important that is to him. Um, when it comes to doing sales and training. And that's something that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, So I I love that. And we talked also about Ontario Equestrian, some of the programs that have been introduced in your programs, like coaching certification in Canada um, and their great program that they have. There's just a lot of information in this podcast. And I, um, to be honest, I think that I could probably have them back on to do an entire other podcast and talk about certain topics. And Uh, Just like the little things in terms of, you know, starting a horse when it doesn't trust you, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think that we run into that a lot with uh, just being in the industry and people picking up projects and that kind of thing. So very good listen today. I hope that you guys enjoy it. If you do, make sure you reach out to Brandon and let him know that you listened. And as always, for me, if you want to give me any feedback, you can email me at springinequestrian at gmail.com or always find me in my DMs at springinec on Instagram. Um, but I'll let you guys get into it. Okay, so just before we get into this episode, I really wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about Starline Equine Bodywork. You guys have heard me talk about them before, but I wanted to let you know, you know, why this type of thing is really important to me. Um, so I know that I've spoken a little bit about my journey physically myself, how I deal with chronic pain and chronic injuries. Um, I especially the last couple of years, have really reached out to a lot of different, what I would categorize as body workers for people, of course, like chiropractic, massage, osteopath, um, acupuncture, electromagnetic therapy, PEMF, all the things that I'm are kind of available for us as horse owners as well. And sometimes I think I felt as though the treatments were a little lofty until I really integrated them to my day to day and noticed how big of a difference the small things make. Um, and it kind of gives you your own power when you, when you're responsible for, for doing something every day, like stretching or working on your posture or whatever it might be. And it actually makes a difference in your, your body and your function and your performance and your strength. Um, and I think it's the same for horses. And this is why body work is so important to me and learning about it as a horse owner, because there's so many things that you can do to help your horse in those areas. And you don't necessarily have to have someone come in and do it for you. 
So that's what Starline's about. Um, they have some programs on their website. They have easy mobilization and soft tissue release techniques and focus on stifles that you can purchase. And then all of those exercises in there are to help your horse with certain issues that teaches you about the anatomy and the biomechanics of your horse. I wish that I had this information years ago, um, but it is available to you now. And if, if you have your own horse, part board horse, you're working with horses, all of these things can be really, really life-changing um, when it comes to your horse's performance, rehab, strength, com how comfortable they are. Um, so I encourage you guys to just check out this information. Their website is starlandbodywork.com. Um, and they're, you know, really trying to empower horse owners to teach them safe and effective bodywork techniques for their own horses at home, which I think is kind of you know, something that you can take the responsibility in your own hands of trying to make your horse more comfortable, noticing what works, noticing what doesn't work, maybe even noticing things that you didn't notice were bothering them. Um, so like I said, check them out, visit their website. I'm sure that they would be happy to answer any questions that you have before jumping in as well. You can reach them anywhere at Starline Equine Bodywork, and I will let you guys get into this episode. Yeah, I think um, I started young and in a way that a lot of people kind of find their way into the sport. And that is my parents had me doing at least one to two sports in the summer and try to do one to two in the winter. So we were a very athletic family. And I have cousins that uh, owned and operated a Western riding facility. Uh, not anywhere close where I could participate in that, but every time we would connect over holidays at our cottage, uh, at our grandparents' place, uh, they would always bring photos of them riding a horse and doing barrel patterns. And there's just something about the photo of them being uh, on a Western horse at a young age. And it just, I guess it, it uh, sparked this sense of, uh, risk and adrenaline that I uh, am starting to realize I have a real uh, attraction to. <laughs> so uh, from there, it really came down to, and this is where I'm going to age myself, unfortunately, but my parents turned to the phone book, which for those of you listening who don't know what that is, it's actually the Google with um, uh, printed words on it. So uh, they found a facility that was pretty close by to me. And that really inspired and started the journey uh, that I'm still on today. Yeah, and for everyone listening, you're doing you're doing many different things. Like you have your the marketing director at Ontario Equestrian. You you're working on sales horses at Lake House Stables, um, and you have Stonewood Equestrian. So why don't you give me the rundown of all those different positions or or areas that you're working on right now in the industry? Yeah, it's been uh, an incredible whirlwind, and I've uh, connected with a lot of incredible people who have supported all that's currently going on, and would be remiss if I didn't thank those people and make it very clear that it takes a village uh, to do anything well, but also to um, just take on the opportunities that present themselves. So really, it all came down to as I progressed through the levels of competition, I connected with certain people uh, and unknowingly later in life have reconnected with them. So the first one being Tennille Kerrigan, who owns uh, Stonewood Equestrian, and we competed against each other in the jumper medal uh, a few years back. I won't comment when. Mm -hmm. And um, we reconnected when she had a horse that uh, she just needed some help with and I lived close by and we connected uh, when she opened up her facility in Pickering. So there is an evolution there where it was just come by, ride a horse a couple of times uh, a week and then it progressed to more opportunity and that opportunity was let's start doing a little bit of um, a sales program. Uh, I then was really focusing on uh, leaving the amateur world behind just to make sure that I was doing it in a credible way where I wasn't competing, which I wasn't at the time. Um, so it made sense to drop that amateur status, go professional. And that was purely just to be able to uh, do a sales program uh, through Hall & Co Equestrian. So Tennille really helped me out in developing myself 
from that amateur rider who just loved to get on horses that maybe didn't uh, do their job as willingly as others and uh, work towards becoming the professional of that facility because she herself is an amateur. So she gave me a great opportunity to kind of lead that way. I then was asked to start doing riding lessons uh, and coach. And because I worked at Ontario Equestrian, I wanted to be certified. So I went through that entire process and I'm now a licensed and certified um, Equestrian Canada competition coach. And with the evolution of that facility in itself, going from primarily an A circuit facility when it opened up to then a little bit of a riding school, I find that if you're doing your job well enough, you inevitably get riders who are good and want to compete. So we went from a show team of, I believe, four in our first year of offering that opportunity to the last uh, Zone Classic Horse Show uh, run by Christine Ripke before uh, the pandemic. We had 20 horses show up um, at her show. And Stonewood Equestrian is a farm with 24 stalls. So we really kind of expanded at a rate that uh, overtook what the facility could uh, manage. And that's kind of where we had to just grow in terms of bringing on other coaches. We had Julie Trombley who started much earlier into this journey uh, and really took the show team to where it was. Um, and then the sales program was just something that because I have the full-time job at Ontario Equestrian, I couldn't really be doing the the Friday to Sunday competition circuit with Silver Series. It was uh, Wednesday or Thursday to Sunday. So I mainly just stayed at home and did uh, the riding lessons and the sales program from there. So that that evolved to a point where it, it became extremely successful for us. Um, during 2020, we sold 29 horses uh, doing this all on a part-time basis. And that really connected me to Lake House where they are looking at um, expanding um, both here in Ontario to do a sales program, but they have actually just acquired a property in Ocala five minutes from the new uh, WEC Ocala. And we're looking at doing more of a Ocala and Ontario sales program. So cool. And so much yeah. on your plate. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you, so when did the, like when did you start hauling co like obviously you're building your own personal brand professionally as well as collaboratively with these other people and barns so what did that look like what do you do you always plan on having a position in the industry as your career path yeah, I think the push for Holland Co. It really stemmed from being at Stonewood, and we didn't want anything to interfere with uh, Tineal's amateur status. And we wanted to make it very clear that although uh, horses were coming into that property, the sales program was being done by myself, who is an amateur that dropped his status uh, to do just that, sell horses. Okay. Uh, so really, it was a push and a supported piece through Tennille to help me just get to that next step. Um, so that's where Hall & Co kind of came from. And I did Hall & Co because as we all know, there are many people that uh, support a journey um, through the sales program. Uh, so it's just, it, it was an extension to lend itself to, you know, whether I'm at Stonewood or I'm at Lake House or wherever I end up, um, that, that company is a part of, of what I do. So uh, it, it really just came down to offering uh, a name associated with a professional that is doing a sales program out of another facility. So it's it's definitely been more than what I imagined it to be. It started with a couple of horses uh, at a time, and then it just started evolving where, again, if you're doing things well and people start to trust you, they come back. And that seemed to be the route. And we had more people coming back than what we envisioned and it just kept growing and growing, which, you know, is a great problem to have. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Speaking of, you know, a sales program, can we talk a little bit about what that looks like and how you tend to choose horses, but when it comes to making the sale happen and putting them in a program that works for them? You know, what, what is that looking like? Um, how does the program look at home with the sales horses? 
Uh, how do you find suitable partnerships? What's your overall approach when it comes to, to the horses that are for sale? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think one that is a little unique for the way that I operate, uh, mainly because I can only do it evenings and weekends. I actually do it for myself. So I don't actually take on client horses. I don't sell them on behalf of someone. I purchase them myself. I develop them myself and I, I sell them uh, to great people. And the reason for that is just because the, the part-time component. Is, I can't give them the amount of time more so at Stonewood, I couldn't give them the amount of time because I was purely the only one doing the riding and the working. And that, that I felt that there was an expectation maybe based on how much would need to be charged to make it worth my while, um, that I was more uh, on site. And I couldn't do that working in an office Monday to Friday. So I buy the horses myself. I find ones that I enjoy. Um, but my favorite component of it, all the things that I've done in this industry is changing the trajectory of a horse's life. And by that, I mean, find something that maybe isn't in the best uh, situation, um, whether it's been pulled from an auction, um, slaughter bound. Um, it's not a topic that a lot of people like to talk about, but um, finding animals that could hopefully have potential, you never truly know because you don't get the opportunity to try them before you buy them. So you take your chances, you hopefully get them at a price that is worth the loss if God forbid anything's really wrong with them. Uh, luckily enough, there haven't really been any that have. And I love the challenge of taking something that, you know, maybe didn't have any handling or had some pretty bad upbringing and giving them the love, the attention, and the education within my abilities to then uh, make them safe and educated for someone to take on further. Uh, and I'm happy to say that we've had a lot of horses that have you know, gone from you know, less than ideal situations to selling to the US. Uh, I have a few that are currently competing on the A circuit. Um, and, and then there's others where they're just great trail horses for people that want something safe and kind and aren't going to be pushed beyond their means. So it's a little or a lot different, I guess you could say, from the professionals out there who are developing horses for higher uh, competition levels. Um, mm -hmm. I'm doing it purely just because I want to prove that you can find great animals that just need a little extra time and attention, and they can be out there with some great animals competing if that's the, the route they're best suited for. Well, I love that that was your answer because that gives me so many more questions. Yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah, that's something that I do myself as a professional and I have um, definitely an affinity to, to watch horses that had kind of these rough, rough starts move into a great home after having a little time in training. So one of the, the questions that you know, I'd like to formulate around that is, okay, what are some of the blanket things that of course you're looking for in terms of, you know, potential when you're shopping for these prospects? Yeah. Uh, and I love that question. And I feel like uh, the search is uh, one of the best parts of the entire process. It's, it's finding something on paper that sounds attractive and then waiting to find out if that matches whatever steps off, runs <laughs> off or is pulled off the trailer. And uh, I always say you got to you got to pick something that you enjoy because the process can be uh, mm -hmm. exhausting. Um, it can be trying. And if it isn't an animal type uh, that you don't enjoy or that you're confident working around, then I try and skip it. And for me, you're going to laugh, but I love anything that's just we call it a blob. I just love a good old blob of a pony or or a horse and and. By definition, a blob is something that probably doesn't have much athletic ability and is a little more rounder than that one would want. So um, any kind of a blob, and for anyone that's listening that knows me and has worked with me, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And they curse my name every time I say, I found one. <laughs> okay, great. Well, <laughs> Curveball. I have lots of... Uh... I just have, my head just spins with lots of other questions. This what's happened every interview with everyone. And hence why I send you a jot list instead of an actual structured interview because 
put it together, but what, so when you've got a new sales horse, obviously we want to work on basics and fundamentals. You know, what are those things that you start with when you're putting a horse into your own personal program? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really important to spend every day with them. Um, they, for the most part, the ones that I purchase aren't used to human interaction or human kindness. So building a relationship, whether it's going up and just hanging out in the stall with them, giving them a good curry comb if you can touch them, um, hand walking them. I think hand walking them for me is the most intimate time that you can have with a young animal or a new animal that's nervous so that they see that you're going to the places they're unsure of uh, together. And always just giving that reassuring touch to them that if things get a little nerve wracking or unsure from their end, that you're always there for them. And I always equate it to a kid going to kindergarten on day one. Um, there are a lot of day ones in kindergarten with a young horse or a, an abused, neglected animal. And you've got to be that strong parent for them. And that for me translates and makes the biggest impact when it comes to throwing that saddle over their back, putting a bit in their mouth, teaching them to do some lunging work, uh, and inevitably putting that foot in that stirrup for the first time and hoping that you've done your job. So for me, uh, the hardest thing, and I think the most critical thing to try and find in an animal is their mental capacity and their kindness, that puppy dog personality that everybody wants. That's not something that you can identify in an animal when you're either looking at a sales ad or see a video of it trotting loose in a field. So in a perfect world, I wish that was an area that I could figure out how to identify if they've got a kind mind. Uh, but that's something that I work on from day one. So spending every day with them, not working them, but just letting them know that you're there, that there's routine, that there's kindness and patience. And for me, I've, I've still to this day, and I'm going to knock on wood, but I have backed some incredibly fierce animals that people just say there's no way. And I have never had an animal take a foul step underneath me in that backing process. So I found a process that personally works for me with the types of animals that I bring in. And I really equate it to just spending every day with them. Mm -hmm. A lot of groundwork and just bonding and... Yeah, keep it keep it simple for their their mind, uh, and not over stress them mentally, and of course, definitely not physically. Right. And so, do you would you say that you have some like tricks up your sleeve when it comes to kind of using your horsemanship skills on the ground with horses? Like, is there any exercises that you do with them? They're strictly ground exercises outside of hand walking, just to build that. Yeah, absolutely. I usually start with. You know, obviously the hand walking just exposes them to new environments. Nine times out of 10, these animals have never had a roof over their heads. So that's a, that's a big one for them. Um, the first thing that I do with them is I teach them about water and a hose. Uh, we all know that there's unpredictable moments. And the first thing they need to understand is that uh, water is okay. Because if they cut their leg or they get into some kind of incident, either in a stall or outside, that's something that they just need to accept. So we do a lot of stuff in the barn with just tying, uh, cross tying, uh, and then getting them used to water. Uh, blanketing, depending on the season, that's something that I want them to get accustomed to. And I know that a buyer, whether it's 30, 60, or 90 days is going to do if it's over the winter months. Um, and then from there, I put them in the arena and I let them free lunge, get used to it. Um, usually I'll put in a, a, a kind horse that I'm, I'm comfortable with so that they can see something that is relaxed in that environment and they can start to play and learn that the arena is a play position or spot. Um, and once I see that they really change their, their, their stress levels, if there are any, then I start the process of hand walking in the arena, then lunging. Um, and, and I really just do that a lot of lunging, just walk trot. And then I start the vocal cues that I will uh, then incorporate when I'm on their back. So you know, the, the cluck to trot or to move on and then the kiss to canter. And then that way it's very familiar to them when I'm on their back and they're stuck or they're nervous. I just do the cluck or the kiss and they, they get moving again. 
that's very helpful for everyone listening because I think a lot of that stuff can get overlooked and people don't recognize and realize how much of an impact it has. Like uh, sometimes it can seem a little fluffy, but it yep. definitely makes the difference for sure. Well, well, if you want to talk fluffy, this is something that I found recently that is not so much for them, but I find it, it, it pays off in the long run for them as well is I, you know, coming off of a full-time director position, there are days where I'm a little tense or a little stressed. And, you know, maybe I get a call that, oh, you know, the horse, a horse is, uh, you know, not feeling so great or came in with a stone bruise or, you know, anything that can happen on the daily. Uh, I play spa music. <laughs> I can't believe I'm oh. saying this out loud, but no, I play it when I work true. them. Yeah. Yeah. I play it on my phone uh, and I, I, I do it when I'm working with them and it, it brings me down, but obviously through bringing me down, if I'm a little tense that day, um, I've actually had a former client who reached out to me not that long ago with a, a jumper and she said, you know, we, we just had an animal communicator come in and it had been months since I had been to see that horse. And they said, the horse is asking where the guy is with the light music. And I would always just play that music to bring everything down. So it's just really interesting that that's kind of a new thing I've incorporated and it seems to be really working. Yeah, guys, if, if you're listening, that is not fluffy at all. It actually <laughs> works. I, I think that it is so true. And as much as whether or not it impacts the horses, it can changes the energy completely of the person. And, and that of course then trickles down. So great point. I'm glad. you. <laughs> um, it's funny. It, it all kind of stemmed because I used to play music for nervous horses or horses that maybe had an issue in the show ring and they just wanted it to kind of get more confidence before they go back. Uh, and I would play kind of ridiculous music where it'd go really quiet and then, you know, maybe it would be really loud and it would just try and get them comfortable with sounds that maybe might pop up during a competition venue. Or if they're going to the Royal, we would play a lot of orchestra music um, because we all know that lovely intro is great to hear when you're sitting uh, in the stadium uh, watching, but a horse can get really tense when that big intro sound comes on before you enter the ring. And so it all kind of stemmed from that where I'm like, whoa, I'm getting tense listening to this music. I need to dull it down a little bit. So it's interesting how it all evolves. I love it. I love it. That's something that no one has yet mentioned. So I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> just hopping onto the business side of like a small sales program or one that you're personally kind of doing yourself mm -hmm. and you're chatting about it. You know, there's all these things that go into it, like your initial investment and then your ongoing investment and the margins and the pricing. Um, I don't know where to start with that, but <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. And, and I lump it all into one question too. We don't have to talk about it super, but I think that, that people would be really interested in hearing, you know, like it's, it's, you're obviously doing it from with your own, it's your own personal investment. So there's that and you're not, um, dealing with people who are investing necessarily, as far as I know, in yeah. courses with you. And maybe that's something that you have explored. Um, but what do, you know, what does your turnaround look like? It's different for every horse, but how do you measure when a horse is technically kind of ready for that next step? And then um, maybe some comments on our, our market right now and what the, what the pricing is looking like to you and the, some of the trends that you've noticed. Yeah, no, those are all great questions. And I'm, I'm definitely an open book because I do want to paint the realities around this industry and the sales program. And again, I'm speaking at it at a, a much lower level from what others are trying to achieve. Um, but I think it's more relatable to those who think, well, you know, maybe I can get a project horse and, and flip it, uh, which I always say, go for it, but maybe listen, maybe turn the volume up a little bit at this point. <laughs> So um, the nice part about having the sales program now with Lake House is obviously Ashley Sakaguchi Newell, uh, the owner of Lake House, she is a professional. So between her and I, we go 50-50 on everything. We split the cost of the animal. Um, I do the rides. She covers the board. Um, and then we split the profit in the end. So we've got a great little agreement where we're both 
buying into an animal um, and supporting it, but we also obviously as an investment have the pressure of A, making sure the animal is being listed at the right time for the animal's sake, um, but also to make sure that we're not just continually dumping money into something that we're never gonna see it back again. And as we know with all investments, you win some, you lose some, um, but we always try our best not to lose. So um, I would say, be mindful of the things that come up that you just don't foresee. Uh, paying for a, a, a horse that you can afford, think about the board that you will have to pay if you don't have that kind of an agreement in place. Um, think about the time commitment. That's another one that, you know, maybe you have a horse and you're thinking, oh, I'll get another one because I got a couple hours. Like it, it would be fun to ride two a day. Factor in the, that you're probably having to ride that second horse at least four times a week. So do you have that time? And, you know, are you looking at getting into uh, a promotion at work where maybe that's going to hinder your time, family commitments, um, do you vacation a lot because maybe you're eating into your vacation budget? So there are a lot of things that I know clients of mine that I coach are thinking, well, maybe we can do this together. And it, it, it's that reality check of, you know, A, I can only take on so much and I have the luxury of a, another professional that can support me if my work life gets busy. Um, and then factor in, you know, do you need different tack? Um, you know, veterinary costs then double blanketing, which, you know, is an insignificant cost in the, the whole overall uh, picture of horse sales, but you've got to get into that. Uh, clipping the horse, if it comes in in the winter and you really want a nice picture, you've got to either pay for that or do that. So there's all these things that really and truly add up that people don't factor in. And if they're already having a horse that maybe is just their personal horse, the cost of it, and then the pressure to get it done, um, people don't realize it takes a good amount of time to train a horse properly. So if you're three months in and you're like, I'm tapped out, I am no longer going to be making money off of this animal, uh, what do I do? That's a big one. And also the marketing. People don't realize there's a, a skill and an art to the marketing of an animal to get that animal's personality out there. And if you don't have that interest or that ability, then you're, you're trying to sell a horse in a community that is selling horses like crazy right now, flooded. No, so, so many good points. And, and speaking of, of that, um, like the sales market right now, um, yes. you find like, I don't know, it's, I get different opinions from all different people. It is a really kind of crazy market. Perhaps prices are different than what they once were. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to say, I don't want to say anything finite, but, um, you know, does that make it more difficult or easier to sell in different aspects? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky enough to kind of see the scale of what people are looking for. Like currently on my plate, um, I've got a lot of people that want the large pony um, all the way up to the three six hunter. And those are considerable uh, price differences. Uh, even, you know, the thoroughbred, the off the track thoroughbred that used to go for $1,500, maybe $2,500 if it, you know, had a flat knee and trotted real nice. Um, they're now, I just saw one that was posted for $18,000 and it's, you know, a three-year-old off the track thoroughbred. It was very nicely put together, but never did I think without a show record, you know, in the three foot hunters, would I see something like that currently. Um, and then, you know, the large pony is so lucrative. I'm seeing leases for $35,000 on a large pony. And then, you know, you get into the three six hunter and you're talking six figures so yeah it's an insane market and i think with COVID, everyone was uh bored uh, not only just people who ride but family members that supported a rider were thinking well that's the only real thing i can do that gets me out of the house that's quote unquote safe um so maybe i'll just buy a horse and you know i'm working from home this will be great so the supply just vanished and we couldn't import at the time. So now we're desperate. 
and you know the borders just starting to open up and people are you know even in the u.s trying to get through to ontario to buy some horses because the prices have skyrocketed there as well so definitely i would say there are types of animals that you know four years ago would never be in the price bracket that they are now and uh, I think there are just more people participating with horses that are driving that price up. Yeah, I know I could talk about it all day. But <laughs> gotta keep going here. Um, yeah. You mentioned, you know, having horses, the day-to-day of horses, having them come in with a stone bruise or having horse that you've been working with have a setback or be frustrating yeah. or running into that three-month mark and being like, oh my gosh. Um, you know, we recognize the hard work it takes to be very to be at all successful in the industry, what keeps you motivated and and keeps you connected to the passion that you have for it and what you want to accomplish? Yeah, I think it's such a great question and one that's so relevant in our industry is because we're doing exactly like you said, we're working with horses or we're working with animals and they're bound to be mental and physical setbacks with either the animal or the person. Uh, And for me, I have to say without a doubt, it is the team of people that have supported me for so many years. The ability to say, you know what, I've hit a bit of a roadblock in the training, or there's a behavior situation that I'm, I'm maybe I've seen before, but my approach just isn't working. Or, you know, I'm riding around and, you know, is that a hitch? Is that a muscle? Are we talking uh, an actual physical um, structural problem of the animal? I always stop and turn to, you know, I'm going to name drop a little bit here, but I've got to thank these people. Uh, Ashley Jenner, who's been a huge uh, uh, supporter of mine and a best friend of mine, who's kind of helped develop me as well as a a horse sales person. Um, Again, Tennille has always been there to to support me and just another glance to go, yeah, no, I see what you're you're talking about. and of course, Ashley, who, uh, Ashley Sakaguchi, she steps in and goes, you know, let me give, give you a, a second opinion here. Or I'll sit on the animal and see what we're, we're looking at. Um, and then always going, I always go physical and I get made fun of all the time. They're like, oh, you're throwing money down the drain, but I'll always go to a vet. I'll always think, well, maybe it's chiropractic or maybe I need a, a PEMF, a PEMF treatment. Um, you know, I, I need to do something for the animal to rule out that it's, physical or mental or uh, equipment. So I think always just stopping in the moment and whether or not you're being paranoid or not, I think you owe it to the animal to always think of them first. And that's the approach I take. And I'm just very lucky that I've got friends that will literally stop in that night or they'll stop in the next day uh, and go, I see what you're talking about. Try this or maybe it needs a supplement or, you know, I usually only ride an animal four days a week. Um, I'm a huge proponent of giving them a couple days off or a week off here and there just to forget about the training lifestyle. Um, And and usually nine times out of 10, it's uh, a vet coming in and saying, you're being ridiculous, but um, I appreciate that you're looking out for your animals. So that's my go-to. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to ignore your gut on those small things, that is when it's going to actually pop up as a real physical issue. So absolutely. You said it well. Yeah, I am. And just in mentioning what you you, you were talking about, I wanted to just briefly jump into pre-purchase exams, because I'm sure that you have been on both ends of those and what your philosophy around pre-purchase exams is when you're purchasing or when you're experiencing that on a horse that you're trying to sell? Yeah, no, it's a great question and definitely a controversial one. Um, Ashley Jenner, who I mentioned earlier, she uh, is a veterinary technician for small animals and uh, is very big on radiology and has actually created some, some great case studies for radiology and small animal medicine. And uh, she always says, they are a baseline that identifies uh, if the animal is going to be suitable for what the job is. It's not a matter of a pass or a fail, it's a matter of findings. Um, And I I wholeheartedly agree. I feel like a a vet's job in that situation uh, is to say, this is what I found or I found nothing. Um, What is the job that you're hoping to buy the animal to do? And whatever the findings are, if anything, will they, are they manageable? Can they be maintained to help the animals still continue to do the job? Or is it a hard no based on that level of either competition or work that 
they're hoping to get out of the, the animal. So for me, it's always, I always walk into it expecting to find something, um, but will that something or that finding uh, take away from the animal's ability to do what it's being either promoted as being able to do? Um, and if so, how do we maintain it to keep it comfortable and happy for years to come? Yeah, yeah. An information gathering situation. I like that. Yeah, um, and I think coaches need to do a better job um, at educating clients that, you know, if we're going the pre-purchase route, which I always recommend you do, it's just your due diligence. Um, if there is a finding, it doesn't mean that the animal won't be able to do the job. The question that then has to be asked is, you know, I, I'd like it to be a two, six hunter. Um, can it do that job? And if not, what's the maintenance looking like? And do you recommend I move forward with it? So that for me is, is a big one. And I, luckily enough, I've had a lot of incredible buyers that know exactly what a pre-purchase is supposed to do or is intended for, um, and have been very happy with how people have moved forward. Yeah. Um, as a seller, have you ever had an experience where there's certain things that come up in those exams that are huge red flags or turnoffs to certain people that you maybe feel shouldn't be um no i think to each their own like you're really coming into it with whatever education you have about the anatomy or the biomechanics of a horse and and again the realities around you know everyone says i want the three foot hunter and they're jumping cross rails and you're going okay that's nice so you know being realistic about what you're actually going to be doing with the animal i i think regardless of what comes out of it there's learning opportunities um I, one of the best things I heard is every horse has a purpose and you can find a job for really any horse, meaning, you know, maybe you didn't pass a pre-purchase and your intention was for it to do the jumpers or to do some eventing at a low level. Um, if it has a great mind, there's no reason why you can't sell that horse uh, respectfully and do some light pleasure riding or some trail riding. Uh, and the amount of money that someone will pay for an animal that has a kind mind and is never gonna put, for the most part, a foot wrong, um, that's a hugely marketable animal. So as much as you came into it hoping for it to be the you know elite show horse at whatever level, that animal might be best suited for a light pleasure riding backyard lifestyle. And maybe that's the blessing in disguise of doing the pre-purchase is figuring out that, you know, I, I think I would have done some harm to that animal if that's the actual direction it went. So I'm grateful that we found this out. And now let's just change the marketing side of this to promote this incredible animal to someone who's going to give it a respectful home. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, my dog's in the background. <laughs> I love that answer because I think that happens a lot where whether buyers or sellers might be surprised by some findings. And it's so important to take those into account when going forward and not just ignore them perhaps, but you, I'm just going to change gears a little, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> they really want to be involved, but you mentioned your transition from amateur status into professional. And I wondered how, if, if there was a bit of a mindset shift or if you've ever dealt with issues around self-confidence or feeling a bit like an imposter in that position and, and how you manage those feelings? Yeah, really good question. Um, I think for me, it was easier only because I, I'm not really known for competing. Uh, you know, if there's a horse that someone needs help with and uh, the direction is taking them to a horse show and getting them through something, then absolutely I'm all in. But again, because of my full-time job, it's really hard to give those weekends away or to do, um, you know, the ticketed schooling um, or just get up there and do a lesson at Palgrave or Angelstone. That, that's tough for me based on my schedule. So to my mindset goes right away to, well, you know, I'm going to have to compete against professionals. But once I took that away and realized, well, I really don't compete that much. So what's the, the difference between having an amateur and a professional you know, kind of status. So it was easy to kind of go the route of professional. And I wanted to be a representative of someone that, you know, if I am making money off of this sport in this industry, I want to do things 
the, the right way in my opinion, which is I would feel kind of lousy calling myself an amateur. And if I do have to compete, being seen as someone who sells horses and, and coaches and makes money. So that just didn't make sense for me. So I kind of knew what I had to do and was quite happy to do it. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like, even though I don't know necessarily how you fit all of that into your day-to-day -day schedule, um, that you have, you know, a great balance and people, there's, there's so many different routes that people can take and directions people can go in the industry. So I love having, you know, this conversation because someone that might be considering, like, it's just impossible to live that lifestyle and do what I want to do. They can consider, you know, adjusting and changing to kind of have a little bit of a, a balance. Um, there's so many different things. There, there are, there are so many avenues and routes that you can go. And it, it doesn't mean that if one doesn't work for you, that you can't find another. Meaning if you want to become a certified coach or you want to get into uh, teaching lessons uh, or camp, that if that isn't something that you're actually passionate about once you get into it, that you're done and over. I mean, this gets me more into the Ontario equestrian side of things uh, where there are a number of opportunities for people to participate in the sport without even riding. Uh, you know, I became a provincial course designer just to become a better coach and a better rider when I do show. Um, you know, we have a huge lack of uh, individuals who are wanting to become stewards or uh, officials like judges. So there's a lot that you can do where you're not committed to seven days a week. You can kind of pick and choose what weekends you want to work um, and, and create a life where you know, you lay out what, however many days you want to do something in that line of work and, and go for it. I love that. No, and, and there's lots of opportunity to be creative. And this led me right into what we were going to talk about as well as a little bit about uh, Ontario Equestrian and, and what OE does. Generally, of course, they, they offer insurance for multiple things within the industry and then training and education, certification, that kind of thing. Some new programs that we I do hear about and hear people talking about um, are the actual certification and licensing of coaches and the GRIT program. So I wanted to cover those two things today because um, there's still other things I, I wanted to talk to you about. And here we are running really long, but I really appreciate it. So if you wanted to maybe... I know people have questions about the certification program for coaches in Ontario and, and the difference between licensing, certification, and just what the long-term goals are or the long-term outlook is when it comes to creating certified coaches in the industry. Yeah, uh, and it's a question that has been quite controversial uh, for many reasons, but uh, a necessary conversation. Uh, so first of all, the program itself of licensing and certification is through Equestrian Canada. So the national sport organization, which is Equestrian Canada, uh, like any other sport organization, uh, Hockey Canada, et cetera, they are for the most part responsible for having a coach certification program that is then dispersed around the provincial sport bodies. So of course, Ontario Equestrian is the provincial sport body to Equestrian Canada. Uh, so it has been put out by Equestrian Canada for as a standardization within our industry. And without a process of certifying coaches, uh, they are, and we as a provincial sport body are not doing our job to create a structure and a pathway to identify coaches and have them trained to a level and within certain um, kind of approval processes like criminal record check, background checks, first aid. Those are all things that a coach needs to have. And if we're not doing that within our own sport, then we're way behind what other sports have been doing for years. And, and that's the case. So that naturally affects any kind of Olympic funding or Olympic accreditation uh, for our sport. And it should be a very easy thing that people jump on board and do it just because it's brand new and now being enforced. Uh, a lot of people have questions and that is absolutely normal and fine and it's a part of always job to help answer those questions 
Well, I feel like um, at least at, before the pandemic, you guys were really pushing with a lot of resources and things for people to be able to access and meetings, all sorts of things. I actually attended some of those myself. What I was noticing in those and me just sitting in the back corner, you know, observing and learning was that there was a lot of resistance around this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You Do you have any ideas of, as to where that resistance might be coming from? Yeah, I think because there are so many people, incredible professionals and coaches that have done this and unfortunately to them been forced to figure it out on their own, how to coach, uh, how to put a program at home together that supports, you know, kids to adults to other amateurs that are up and coming professionals themselves. They've been left on their own to figure that all out. So to then go to individuals who have very successful proven programs and be told you actually have to, in, in their mind, uh, do your rider level tests to then become a certified coach and, and do the entire spectrum or, or approach to becoming certified, that they're a, at an age where maybe they don't ride anymore or physically they're, they're not capable of riding or jumping or, or anything that's required with that uh, certification process um, and saying, why now? And, and why now do I have to spend hundreds of dollars to make this happen when I'm already successful at what I'm doing? So I, I understand, I think being able to have my, my Hall & Co hat on while I'm out there riding around and meeting with different trainers and coaches over the months, um, hearing what people are saying, but then being able to have those individual one-on-one -on -one conversations about, well, it goes far beyond that of testing your skill through a rider level test. Um, it has a huge impact on our sport and what it allows for us to achieve as equestrian at the Olympics or as equestrian through Equestrian Canada. Um, we've got to step up and get up to the times and there are opportunities for those who have proven themselves and maybe are not capable of getting on a horse and demonstrating their skills that still allow you the opportunity to get certified and to get licensed. Yeah, yeah that's so great. I mean, I think that's really informative because there's lots of conversation around it, but it's nice to hear that directly. And um, the pillars or the values at the, at the end of the day really are to just continue to progress the sport in the right direction. And, and I'm sure that you know, once everyone gets over the novelty, which hopefully it, we've went over that hump, they'll understand. And, and it is, there's lots of information. You know, I was perusing the, the, even the OE website earlier today, just quickly. And there's so much information available for anybody who's interested in learning more about this and also for learning about the programs that you guys offer. Um, so the other one I just wanted to touch on quickly was the, the great writer intensive training program, the GRIT program, and what that is, who qualifies for it, and, and the overall <laughs> goals for that as well. Yeah, this, that program is getting a lot of attention. And again, as a component to being a provincial sport body, it is every PSO's job to create a program for amateur high-performance athletes um, to develop them and identify them for the national to handpick who their national team becomes. So in Swim Ontario, Skate Ontario, Hockey Ontario, there are supposed to be programs from the grassroots level that keep people engaged all the way through Active for Life where you can be 74 and still participating and learning and growing. But then there's that stream for performance where there's supposed to be a program or programs that identify athletes at a young age or whatever the age range is for that program uh, to go through some training, um, show your results, uh, learn different patterns and um, demonstrate your skills through the watchful eyes of identified either officials or uh, head coaches or specific coaches in their field that say that one has potential and we need to work with that person or those people to make them the next best thing. And then it would be the national's job to go around to each province or territory and say, okay, tell me about that one, tell me about that one, let's get them into a national training camp and see who's stepping up. And that should become our next national team. So 
if you stop and think about equestrian as purely a sport, which uh, as we know, equestrian is not just sport, uh, but sport also encompasses recreation, just like Timbits hockey or, you know, kids kicking around a soccer ball, that is recreation. Uh, even adult leagues, that is recreation and that is sport. So I think there's a big uh, gap in what people think sport is. You can trail ride and that is still falling under the sport definition. Uh, but grit was developed to find and isolate that chunk of, of riders within Ontario Equestrian to then hopefully be podium bound athletes under Equestrian Canada. And our hope is that the program will become um, uh, countrywide and it could be used as a, a starter. You know, other provinces and territories will probably tweak it, which is great. Um, so that Equestrian Canada can pick the next group of athletes. No, that's great. That was a very in-depth and thorough explanation. And, <laughs> no, I think it's really important for people to know, especially because um, for many people listening, I know that you guys are all in Ontario. I see my, my insights. And there's a lot of you that are equestrians in Ontario. It's important to know that these things are here and available and functioning. So, and what they are, I really appreciate it. Um, and I, I have probably like another huge chunk of questions that we are definitely not going to get into today. So I love that. <laughs> introducing part two yes, exactly. <laughs> um but one of the ones i wanted to just finish on was you know is there any issues or even topics prevalent in the industry that you wish were talked about more or addressed more wow um yeah uh, you know i think the 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 most recent and relevant and and one that i need to educate myself on uh just personally is uh equality equity um just Inclusivity. I think that's the all-encompassing word, and I hope I don't offend anyone by not using another word, but this is where my lack of education falls into play. But having a sport that, regardless of who you are, what your, your uh, income levels are, and I, I, know, I understand that's a, a big one to, to throw out there, but for people to look at equestrian and, and not see it as, I'm going to say it because if you know me, I just go there, uh, the white, rich, pretentious sport. Um, and here I am as a white male, <laughs> not wealthy, but um, that you can look at a horse and have the appreciation and the love and the emotional and even spiritual connection with a, a horse. That is something that I would love for everyone to experience, um, regardless of where you take it from there. You know, I see kids working, um, down at the Royal Winter Fair with Ontario Equestrian, we have that spirit of the horse uh, area uh, with the animal theater where we do demonstrations and just bringing in kids from all over Ontario that, you know, maybe they live in an agricultural uh, setting, maybe, but they don't have a horse nearby or, you know, they're downtown Toronto kids that have never seen anything other than a dog or a cat to touch that horse or just be intimidated and look up at that big muzzle looking down at them that I just hope I hope that if it's not within my time someone else's time at Ontario Equestrian that can really hammer home that riding facilities are open to all they should be if they're not but they are open to all uh, it shouldn't matter about anything other than do you have an interest and um if you can drive there or find a, a bus to take you somewhere, I mean, God bless downtown Toronto, uh, Toronto Equestrian, they offer that opportunity just to touch the animal and feel that you are welcome, invited and supported. That for me, I think is something that we can all appreciate and hope for. Nice way. I'm going to end it there because that was a okay. lecture. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to answer all of my questions. Yeah. No, you're great at doing this. This is an incredible opportunity. If you have made it to the end of this podcast, as usual, I just want to thank you so much for your listenership and listening all the way to the end here to hear me babble on as I do at the end of every podcast episode. Um yeah, I feel like that was a great episode for you guys interested in perhaps pursuing different avenues in the industry. Um, I don't want anyone to get discouraged hearing uh, repetitive stories. I know that there are some of those. Um, and it's definitely my mission to get more diversity on the podcast in all ways. 
um, as far as equestrian entrepreneurship goes and just people in general. Um, that is a, a, the point that he left on as well. And I've definitely been trying to reach out to different people and have different perspectives. I'm, I'm really excited about some of the ones that I have lined up for you guys um, because they're taking a different look at different topics and issues in the industry. Um, I want to know what you guys want to hear about. I want to know the topics you want covered, what is most meaningful to you as a rider or equestrian or someone who just listens to this. So please don't ever hesitate to reach out to me um, and give me your feedback. I, I invite it. I adore it when you guys uh, message me and tell me that, you know, you listened to a certain episode and it really spoke to you. That makes my day. And that's kind of the point of this podcast. It's definitely something that I don't always have time for. I'm trying to, um, and I, I do this for fun and I do this to connect to you guys and to connect our community a little bit more. So that being said, I will stop babbling and babbling, but I really appreciate your, your listenership and, um, you guys know where to find me, but you can always find me at spring on Instagram or the website is spring or my email is spring at gmail.com. Reach out, let me know what you thought and have an awesome day.